Hello and welcome to Bears Beyond the Gate, a Bristol Bears podcast made by fans for fans. We're four season ticket holders at Ashton Gate who love the club, the game and all things Bears. In this week's show, we bask in the collective glory of Bristol's 20 points to 7 win against Exeter, with the Bears inflicting the Chiefs' biggest defeat at Sandy Park in four years. To quote that famous rugby correspondent Obi-Wan Kenobi, writing in today's Tattoo Times, he said, I felt a great disturbance in the force, as if millions of Chiefs fans suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. I feel something momentous has happened. We also have the return of the excellent Craggy Podcast Boys to help us preview next week's scheduled European game against Connor. But will it go ahead as this season's Champions Cup competition hangs in the balance? All this and more in this week's show. I'm Tony and I'm joined by Lee, Miles and Pete for a cheeky beer and some rugby banter. Well, boys, what a what a fantastic weekend it was for Bristol Bears. Um, first of all, uh, let me come to to you, Pete. Um, h- how did you feel going into that game? Were you, were you always confident that Bristol were going to get the win? Well, first off, Tony, I mean it was a pretty dreary week for the UK, wasn't it? With uh, with all the stuff that happened early on and the schools closing. And to be honest, the one you know, nice thing was the fact that they they announced that elite sport was going to go ahead. And I think that was what was the best thing about the week that, you know, one of the best matchups of the season so far was going to go ahead. So to be honest, you know, I was quite excited about the fact that the game was still on more than anything. But yeah, I mean, you know what, Tony, I, I was less nervous about this game than I have been in, in, in the past because I just really felt that Bristol were, were building up ahead of steam in terms of the way we were playing and, and the systems we had. So, yeah, whilst it was uh, clearly going to be a, a tough game, and, and obviously it, it was, it, I wasn't quite as nervous as I have been. Right. Well, let me come to, to you next, uh, Miles. You're, you're on the front line when it comes to the fight against COVID. And I believe, have you have you received the vaccine as well this week? Uh, I have, boys, earlier this week. And... Uh... Another 10 weeks till I'm fully protected, so I won't be coming around and giving you boys a hug quite yet. But, uh, yeah, think, things are hotting up in the NHS, as we well know. So it was a good distraction this weekend to see a fantastic game of rugby down at Sandy Park. And uh, a, bit, a bit different to normal. I'm, bring, I'm drinking a glass of wine, which has been retrieved from Jeeves down in the cellar, uh, and feeling great. So looking forward to a good chat about the game, boys. Well, well, that's really great, Miles. It's no nice to know that twenty five percent of Bears Beyond the Gate is uh, has got some protection now against this dreadful <laughs> virus. So, if if the worst comes to the worst, you'll be able to share an hour's worth of your rugby knowledge with the the listeners. Uh, Lee, let let me come to you next. Uh, I can see you looking resplendent there in the dining room, which you're decorating. So uh, that that must be nice for you to uh, do a bit of decorating at the weekend. Well, it's uh, yeah, it was great. I've been doing it all week <laughs> and the weekend, uh, but it's it's not the dining room, Tony. This is obviously the Bearers Beyond the Gate recording studio, so um, I have to make it look good, mate. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's let's talk about that game then. Uh, let me come to to you, Pete. Um, as you say, we we'd all been anticipating this top of the table clash, first versus second course we had the fantastic win there last season um and uh yeah we we got to game day we had all our uh props back and front row after the uh the covid scare um what what were your thoughts on that first half well tone i mean it was a it was a hell of a team that we put out wasn't it and and also you know it was good to see that they also put a strong one and you know we knew we knew that that first half was going to be tough and and after the falcons game where i think we were you know we we showed our metal but there were there were areas that of concern i thought that our first half performance against exeter was fantastic i just think in the sense that we got right up and really early on. We didn't necessarily show that on the scoreboard, but I think they were talking on BT Sport, weren't they, about our warm-up. They'd been watching the warm-up and saying it was really intense and really hard. And we, for the for, for once, we really started the game strongly. And I, I think, to be honest, we set the tone so early on and I don't think Exeter ever really um, got to grips with it in the end. 
No, absolutely. And uh, Miles, your your thoughts on that first half, and maybe in particular that uh, that wonderful try that we scored in uh, what I'm going to call now Cape on Corner at Sandy Park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed, boys. It was in the same corner. I mean, up until then, I think we'd we'd struggled a little bit with our sort of driving move from our penalty uh, lineouts, and and I thought that. Well, perhaps this isn't our, isn't our day or the best way of attacking. But, you know, we changed our tactics slightly, didn't we? I mean, their defence on the wall was fantastic. And they're never going to let many a team push them over the line. But their slight switch inside from Nathan Hughes, where they were missing defenders, the pushover. And I think Will Capon, he obviously wasn't on the pitch at the time, um, would have been gutted that a number nine scored from the, from the driving wall. So, oh, cheeky little Harry Randall, all 79 kilograms of him, made all the difference in the end, it would appear. His weight and his driving force drove him over the line and scored a fantastic try. And at least this time around, the the ref didn't say, it's a try, but I don't know how it got there. It was plain plain flipping obvious this time. An amazing driving ball. Caught them off, caught them out off guard and brilliant try. And, and and Lee, your thought thoughts on that try, and uh, maybe the, uh, the the new style of celebration that uh, we've been forced into. Yeah, I agree with the boys. I think <clears throat> actually, I I was, and I don't know why, but I was confident, literally from this like before kickoff, um, when I saw the boys lining up um, in the warm up, I thought, oh my goodness, they look so focused, didn't they? Uh, like Miles had just alluded to, as a brilliant little switch from Lua Tua to Hughes at the line out. Um, I was gutted personally because I had money on on Big Naif scoring the first try, but yeah, we, we'll let him. We'll let Harry off that one. Um, and yeah, the old, the old, uh, the the new celebration, the the, the COVID celebration. That um, what what is it they call it? That the the air the air high air five is it air five air high fives. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I uh, it, when I first saw it, I thought Nathan Hughes obviously didn't didn't have his glasses on because he was miles away. But um, <laughs> it was uh, it was yeah, it was absolute class, wasn't it? And it was so good to see um, that just that start was immense for me. Yeah, it certainly was a game with plenty of talking points. Pete, let me come to you because one of the things that we saw in the first half was the the referee um, uh, lots of talk to um, the front rows. Um, I think there was the curse of the commentator, wasn't there, saying that uh, both these teams were one and two for the number of scrum penalties um, and then we didn't actually have a a scrum that that was seen all the way through till about the fifth or sixth one. But um, he gave them a warning, Harry Williams and Jake Woolmore, that uh, if they couldn't keep their side of the scrum up, um, he'd, he'd get somebody that could. Uh, what was your thoughts on that that double yellow card? Is that the kind of thing we want to see in rugby? I uh, well, I being a teacher, as you know, um, one of the worst things you can do is threaten something and then not go through with it. And I thought Carl Dixon was well within his rights. I think he wasn't happy, and he's the ref. And they they had to, to deal with it, and and I think if he said he gave them plenty of warning, plenty of chance, and I, and I feel a little bit sorry for Jake more than Harry Williams to be honest, because I, I I had a sense that if Harry Williams seemed to be getting the penalties and the free kicks, but then he got card as well, which, which suggests to me that there was some dark arts going on from the Exeter side as well, and I think Carl Dixon just had enough of it. Um, and I, and I think it was it was a great and actually it was the right thing because the two props that came on and particularly for us Jan Thomas, you know, steadied the whole thing and 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 the thing kind of worked again and and I don't I'm, I'm sure Jake's probably feeling a bit down about it but I just think it's one of those things he'll learn from it and I I don't think he was a hundred percent guilty um, but no I think you know Carl Dixon. He's, he's, he's the ref and the players. We know that the players will do what they want until they're told not to. And I just think he he had enough. And it was it was an absolute it was brilliant to see them walking off the pitch. They they literally couldn't believe it, could they? And they were like looking at each other. And Jake was looking at Harry Williams, and he was like, "What have we done?" It was just uh, I no I I think there needs to be more of that because if we know that rugby players will break the law until they're told otherwise. So so for me. 
Um, I think Carl Dixon should uh, have Gavin Williamson's job. Well, there we are, and it was a it was a fabulous pair of beards as well on that side of the scrum, wasn't it? Which I think I think Jake just just edged. Um, uh, then we um, nearly got well, we got uh, got to about thirty minutes, didn't we? And then we were starting to give away a few penalties, um, uh, losing a bit of possession, a bit of momentum, Lee, um, and uh, Hill eventually went over for that try. Now you you were one that said on social media that you would have liked to maybe seen that as a TMO review, um, but also potentially if it had have been disallowed, would we have seen Nualago uh, in the sin bin for, for that deliberate knock-on? So what, what's your thoughts on those, those two incidents? My, my thought process was uh, <laughs> I was probably led by Thatcher's gold when um, – when I, I, my initial thought was he definitely hasn't grounded it, which I think we, we all agree it definitely wasn't. There was no um, clear picture of grounding. Um, so immediately um, I'd, I'd text that on, on Twitter that it wasn't, it, it wasn't a full grounding. Um, but then actually I thought, well, the deliberate knock-on by uh, Siva Nualago was – was it kind of worked in a way, didn't it? Because he, he definitely would have been sin binned, and I think then we would have we would have struggled more. So it was, it, you know, in hindsight now it was better to concede the seven, and um, and obviously he made a you know a big impact for the for the second half, didn't he? So yeah, I I, I stand, I I I I am. Um, I fully appreciate that I was probably I went too too soon on that uh, on that hill try or non try. And, and Miles, just to come to you, uh, another talking point uh, was that Luke Cowan Dickey tackle on Carl Sinclair, um, and then obviously Carl's reaction to that. Um, I think which we all heard on the uh, the microphone live. Um, h- how do you think um, Carl Dixon handled that, and your your views on um, you know Carl Sinclair's behaviour? Uh, well, well, I mean, it was apparent, wasn't it, from the first half that Carl was being, being very much a school teacher like Pete and not taking any nonsense. I mean, he'd already yellow carded the two boys. So for Carl Sinker to use some expletives, which were uh, clearly picked up on the ref's mic, yeah, was was a bit out of order, really. Uh, and he was obviously nearing a yellow card himself. But um, luckily for him... <laughs> The, the, the TMO picked up a sort of no arms tackle from tackle from Cowan Dickey, and it went back for a penalty. And you know, and, we, and we've seen as, as Bears fans that subsequently, poor Kyle has uh, apologised, hasn't he, on Twitter, um, saying, you know, no need for that. Your hands up, I, I'm in the wrong. And so, fair play to him, really. He realises eventually he was in the wrong, and very lucky that Kyle Dixon didn't send him off, though. Uh, Lee, you wanted to comment on that. Yeah, I just want to stick up for Sinclair, actually, because, I mean, you know, straight away he did admit that he was in the wrong. But we have to remember it was the in the heat of the battle. Um, and obviously we've got we've got microphones literally everywhere nowadays, haven't we, on the pitch. Um, and, you know, it, as much as it wasn't nice to hear, um, personally, I'm going to defend him because... I think he was justified in actually in in not in swearing obviously but in the action um and I and I think that in the heat of the battle sometimes you 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 know these these things are going to happen and it's just unfortunate that it was picked up quite so clearly really on the microphone yeah and uh Pete, if I can come to you, uh, your thoughts on that Sinclair incident. And it was interesting. I, I looked at social media, and I've got to say after the game, the vast majority of um, Exeter Chiefs fans were very gracious in defeat uh, and, uh, you know, wished us well for the season. But there was a, a small minority who, who shall we say, um, had took their reaction straight from the Donald Trump book of uh, <laughs> dealing with defeats. Uh, and was blaming the referee and saying Sinclair should be cited. We don't want that kind of uh, behaviour uh, in in rugby, and it sends a bad example. Where, where do you stand on that? 
I think, to be honest, um, Carl Dixon was more concerned about the way that Carl Singer was screaming rather than what he actually said. And, I, and I've got to say that I think Steve, Big Steve Luatua played quite a big role in this because Sinkler was pumped. He was angry. And as he got called over, I actually, it was the way he was walking. I, it wasn't the swearing that worried me. I thought he was going to be the back chat. And you could see he was like being told off like a teenager. And he kind of rolled his eyes and started to walk away. And Big Steve pulled him back. And I think at that moment, Dixon... You know, it, 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 Dixon decided, okay, he stopped down. I think it was more, it wasn't so much the swearing, it was more the kind of dissent. And that's the thing that rugby purists don't like. I mean, I think if someone's going to, is about to kneecap you at 100 miles an hour with their head and no attempt to tackle, I think he was within his rights to react. You know, it, it, was, it, was, it was shock. But I think it's the dissent thing. And I think if he'd gone a bit further and Big Steve hadn't been there to put his hand on his shot, I, I think that's when we would have been in trouble. And it would have been quite hard to justify it because that's the kind of golden rule of rugby, isn't it? You know, the ref, you don't argue with the ref. Um, yeah, So I think, I mm. think you know, fair play to Sinclair. He, he, he's come out and said sorry and, and, and they're off and, and it's forgotten. And absolutely. And, and I mean, the penalty was given against Luke Cowan Dickey. And I think when you listen to the TMO, um, the TMO, the more he saw it, the more he, he didn't like the tackle. So, uh, you know, that, that could on a, Different day if uh, Sinclair's feet had been uh, more grounded, that that could have been a career-ending yeah. tackle. So, yeah. um, but 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 as you say, Carl's come out after the game on Twitter, made a full apology uh, about uh, his, his language and his actions. So, um, yeah, let's put that one to bed. So, uh, Miles, um, as far as individual performances uh, are concerned, who uh, who caught your eye? <laughs> <laughs> and the <laughs> urine. <laughs> urine. Six six minutes at the end of the game was fantastic. Man of the match. <laughs> I, I knew I knew your voice would pull me up on that. I'm going to give a duel. Apart from the obvious man of the match, Harry Randall, who had an absolute blinder, and, and one of you boys could big him up. Um, I just want to say this weekend, my sort of duel. Apart from him, with dual man of the matches for Bristol with Joycey and Atwood in the engine room. They were just amazing. Uh, and never really given the credit, really, for that game. Um, Joycey in the line-out nearly caught every single ball, ball. He hardly ever lost one. And Atwood was playing so hard, he lost his scrum cap twice, bless him. My wife thought it was the ball, but it was his scrum cap. I mean... I've, I've got to big up those two. Joyce and Atwood were absolutely fantastic this weekend and they did an absolute blinder of a job. Uh, Pete, you, who, who do you think uh, deserves a mention? I just wanted to say, I mean, if, if any of our listeners out there have, have had the pleasure of visiting the SS Great Britain, then Joyce and Atwood are like that engine in that, in that <laughs> ship. Massive steel thing. I mean, I agree with Miles and I'm glad he said it first because... They were, I thought they were immense, and uh, and it and it's stuff. It, I think that that was key in many ways to to us beating Exeter because we had to maintain that engine room intensity all the way through the game, eighty minutes, and uh, so that's good. Yeah, I mean, am I allowed to go for Randall because I do like the scrum offs? I mean, it's the obvious one. Um, no. No, talk about the pocket rocket. And I'd just like to say to uh, Joycey and Atwood, uh, we don't really think you're like a, a vintage engine that uh, <laughs> has, has, hasn't moved for decades think, and is just stuck I, in one spot. I think, spot. to be so, fair, it was uh, a compliment, no. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think it was somewhere in there. But no, Pete, go, go and talk about the number nine because we know you're, you're, uh, you're a scrum half man. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that Randall has been improving every game. I, I just think he he did have his deficiencies maybe at the end of last season and that was why Andy Oren and him were kind of 50-50. But I, scrum offs and it didn't really matter who started. But I think now he's brought so much to his game and it's not just... I, I think the, the big thing for him is game management. That's what a scrum half, a, a really great scrum half brings. Uh, the skills, yeah, he's improved his box kicking no end. His pass, I think his pass is quicker now. I, I just got this feeling he's been working on that. He's so quick, his little wrist flick. It's so important. But his game management that, and, and the, the fact that he I think now opposition teams don't quite know what he's going to be doing. 
but they know it's going to be something effective. And, you know, it will tap and run when he has to. And he's, I mean, I, I even think that the fact that that line-out more try was a pre-planned move just shows the regard that he is held by by someone like John Muldoon, who I think came up with it, that they trust him to, to do something like that. So he was, he was, I mean, for somebody, I think they mentioned he was 70 kg, which, believe me, is a lot less than I am. He was unbelievable. And I, I just think games like that are going to, are going to be so good for him. And, and I mean, Eddie, Eddie Jones was there watching. Uh, I cannot, for the life of me, believe that Eddie Jones will go away and think Tom Young's is a better scrum half than him. But, ben Young. You know, ben Young. Will, so, you know, well, Tom Young's and Ben Young's are both of them rubbish <laughs> scrum half. So uh, I think I think he, he was... And he's such a... He was interviewed on Radio Bristol afterwards, and he's such a nice guy. Just a, a funny, humble... Sent, and, and I mean, Pat obviously loves him as like a son. You can tell. So, what a what a great performance! And any young scrum halves out there, or even old ones, or even retired ones, just rewatch that game to see see how it's done. And Lee, who who caught your eye in that performance? Well, obviously, Miles and Pete have, have taken the the you know the the main kind of um, guys in in that. But what I, in, I'm going to mention in dispatches, obviously, Captain Stephen Luatua was was class again. I wanted to mention Big Nath because I thought he was class. Um, again, BT Sport right at the beginning were still saying, what can Nathan Hughes do to improve his game? And I'm, I just, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, here we go again. But I thought Hughes was great. Um, I thought Ben Earl, actually, a, apart from the couple of penalties that he gave away aside, I thought Ben Earl was, was brilliant again. Um, but I'm, if you if you allow me, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch the attention away from players, and I want to give a big shout out to our defence coach Omar. I still can't pronounce his surname, um, so you'll have to forgive me. But I thought defensively we were absolutely brilliant, and those first fifty minutes or so, we defended as narrow as I've ever seen Bristol defend. And what we were doing is we were nullifying their, their threat out wide, but also it was giving us the extra man in the middle for the tackle. Um, and I, I just thought that was absolutely brilliant tactics. And ultimately, it gave us the platform to work from to, to, you know, to ultimately win the game. No, absolutely. I mean, it, it, defensively, we just over the last 12 months have come on so much. And, you know, this, uh, you know, you can look back at to the game last season, you know, where we were 17 nil down. We eventually won 2017. Um, you know, we had a terrible first half uh, and then everything just clicked in the second half last year. Um, th- this was about us being in control of yeah. that game and shutting Exeter down. Exeter couldn't play the way they wanted to play. Um, and a team thus far, Exeter, that are, are deadly when they get close to uh, your try line. One, we didn't let them get that close to the try line that often and then the mall defense again was outstanding when they did uh, when they did get close i think just to, just uh, a name i want to mention uh, which is did reference it a bit earlier and that was Jan Thomas obviously having to come on for uh, Woolmore when uh, there was that that double yellow card um, and thanks for Tom Hughes who uh, uh, contacted us on Twitter about that double yellow card and asking our thoughts about that um, I thought Jan Thomas to come on and uh, give that kind of performance under that kind of pressure when you know the referee is looking at everything you do and every scrum. Uh, I, I I think he, he was immense as well. And, you know, Ian Lloyd, oh. again, what magic when that boy came onto the pitch. Um, uh, you know, I just love it when a, uh, a team kicked to him uh, because, you know, they must be thinking, 
what is he going to do? Um, those twinkling little toes by that Welshman, fantastic. And, and the only other name I'm going to mention, I thought Brian Byrne again, uh, really solid game and some some great uh, line out throws um, against a very good Exeter Chiefs line out. Pete, yeah. something you want to add? Just to add to Brian Byrne, I mean, there was one classic bit in the second half where he got absolutely marmalised in some sort of contact, and then the whole like mall like fell on top of him and it was it reminded me a bit like you know in um monty pryphon and the uh, holy <laughs> grail where they, like give me some more he's like he was just oh, he took it he took he took, put his body on the line the, the other thing i just wanted to mention tony and it, it's it's a, you know do we ever have a perfect game but there's always the odd work on and the only caveat in the game i had was was our boy siva that we mentioned earlier i just thought yeah. he Um, some of those sort of rush defences that he was putting in were he was I I just wonder whether what have we fast-tracked him a little bit too quickly into that big game and does he does he does he really understand the system at the moment and I I, I just wonder whether Pat might look back at that and think because he he got substituted for Lloyd relatively early didn't he and um, that you know, and, and I think he's so eager to get his hands on the ball and do something because he's come. I, I just that was my only worry in the, in the whole game. Well, Miles, let me come to you because uh, I think it was Paul Darcy last week uh, asked us the question: Have we seen a perfect eighty minutes this season? Uh, and our collective response to that was no, and possibly we haven't seen one in the last year. Um, but but how how do you rate that game as far as a, a perfect eighty minutes is concerned? I, I mean, I, I agree with Pete. I mean, surely that's got to be near, near on perfect 80 minutes. You do no team is going to go to Sandy Park uh, and defend that well and even attack where their defence is a bit loose and put an 80 minutes performance in. But it was pretty much there. You you can't withstand their, their amazing attack at, at Chiefs. So, I mean, I'll, yeah, a fantastic 80 minutes. And I, just to sort of reiterate, I, I mean, I sort of agree that Maybe we have fast-tracked Steve a little bit much. He was great in attack, but he missed at least three tackles. And, you know, I think we all agree that Yaron Lloyd came on and was a little looked a little bit superior, didn't he? So I think he's got to learn the, the, the system and the technique of rugby union a little bit better than he has been. So he's, he's a work on for me, but not quite yet the finished project to be, to be taking to, to such a difficult game. Yeah, Lee, your your thoughts on that that perfect eighty minute scenario? Just one quick one. Did did Miles just say you're in Lloyd? <laughs> I just, I just, I, yeah. I think he's still you're got, Andy, he's still got Andy Yorans still on his mind. But um, no, I, I, yeah. I, I, I just, I do. I mean, I do. I, I completely get where the guys are coming from, receiver, but. Um, I mean, personally, I just think, well, he's, he's, he's obviously come from the rugby league background, which is, is absolutely built on hitting that, you know, that's, that speed, that line speed. Um, and I, I do think that there was a couple of missed tackles, but I, I think we're probably expecting a bit too much if we think he, he can literally step in and, and be the player we want him to be just quite yet. But yeah, but he shouldn't be picked then if he's not ready. I mean, this is my point, is we've got a squad. It's not his fault. I don't blame him. But my question was actually, has Pat like, fast-tracked him a little bit too quickly? I, I've got no, no I, issues with either. But I, I mean, I personally, I think he is ready, but he's just got that, that still, that natural game instinct is, yeah. is still yeah. is still in his system. But I, 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 do, I do think that he's game-ready. Um, but obviously that, that instinct is hard to kind of um, to, to switch from. But um, sorry, Tony, what was the question to start with before I started taking the mickey out of Miles? It was 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 that uh, was that a perfect eighty yeah. minutes? And I, 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 just before you answer, I mean, my 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 thoughts were it was probably as close as we have been. But for me, that five or 10 minutes before half time, where I think, did we give away five or six penalties in a, a 10 minutes? Um, 
take that 10 minutes out and then I, I would have said we were close to to a perfect 80. So for me, it was maybe a 70-minute performance rather than a, a full 80. But Lee, I'm interested to hear what you think. I, I would say for me, that was a full 80-minute performance just from the basis that you will never, ever dominate any team um, for the complete duration of a, of, of a game. And, and I do, I, you know, I do admit that those kind of 10 minutes aside, um, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, we were a little bit lax, but I, but I, I think that was, that was as complete a performance as I think any team could, could, could ever do. I mean, it was Sandy Park, um, and we totally dominated them. I mean, we're we're kind of, you know, we've 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 gone over the last few years to go in there expecting to get an absolute paste in to to you know they're all close games, but but we went there and we completely controlled it. The game management, as Pete said, was brilliant. Um, I, I don't I don't know if I, I can't see any other team going to Sandy Park and doing what we did yesterday, personally. No, no, I, I think that's a fair point. And I think one of the things, you know, when we talk about perfect 80 minutes, I don't think it's necessarily about dominating um, a team. Um, you know, you are, you are going to have to defend and you can be perfect in defence as well as attack. For me, it's about 80 minutes of execution of the plan and what you want to do and not making mistakes. And for me, as I say, I think that, that five or 10 minutes before half time was just, you know, short of that, that perfect game. But it was interesting because I know we had a lot of possession and territory in the first half. But when you look at the stats for the full game, uh, possession, extra 47%, uh, territory, extra had 48%. The tackles were 130 for Exeter. 128 for Bristol but the one statistic that stood out for me which is a pleasing reversal of uh, some of our earlier games was the penalty count Exeter in the end gave away 18 penalties we were penalised nine times uh, and uh, I think that 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 well um, won the game for us uh, especially as it uh, helped to take the pressure off didn't it in those last few minutes if, if you're below um, 10 really you've, you, you've got a good chance of winning the game haven't you Hundred percent. Absolutely. Uh, we need to move on because time is oppressing. But I'm going to ask this one question to each of you. So I'm looking for a snappy answer uh, from you all. I'll come to Miles first. Um, for the future of Bristol Bears, how much should we read into that result against Exeter? Uh you know, okay, very very briefly, you, you could argue they had a bit of a down week at Chiefs regarding COVID, but then on the other hand, you could argue we had the, the foot was on the boot was on the other foot for us last week. My mate whinged at COVID had knackered them. I said, nonsense, you've just beaten by a better team on the day. I think that's massive. I think that's a huge statement. And I think looking at that, I think we can win the league this year. Oh, Pete, let me come to you. Your thoughts is that uh, is that a signpost that uh, the dominance in English rugby has shifted, or uh, is should should we just take that as a as a single game and a positive step? No, I, th- I think it's a it's a matter of tenses, Tony. I think it's shifting, but hasn't shifted. And I think the epicenter. I think I tweeted this. The epicenter of Southwest Rugby has started to move up the M5. And someone replied to me and said, has it got as far as Exeter Services? And I said, well, when it gets to Taunton Dean, we'll get excited. So um, in a short, no, of course not. We're only at the beginning of our project, but it was a massive marker on the way. And, and Lee, your thoughts, is this uh, the the end of the beginning of the project or, or are we ending the, the final phase where we have that uh, team that could possibly dominate English and European rugby? No, I, I agree with the boys. I think that, you know, the, the plates haven't shifted yet. I think Pete had summed that up absolutely perfectly. But I also agree with Miles. I think we, we are genuine candidates for winning it this year. Well, let's have a look at the rest of the results from round six. Um, there was that tri-fest at, uh, 
um, at Bath on Friday night. Bath 44, Wasps 52. Miles, you watched that game on Friday night. Were you happy you uh, got value for money with all those tries? Uh, yes, yeah, I was, Tony. I mean, for the neutral, it was just a try fest. I mean, I, I think statistically, uh, something like the only losing side to have not won was, I think, Bristol prior to that with some ridiculous like 47 points back in about 2002. I'm not sure Eddie Jones would have gained much from that game, apart from a cricked neck, to be perfectly honest with you. But, uh, I mean, a great spectacle from both sides. And, you know, yeah, Wasps were pretty dominant in the end, but other than that, an OK game. <laughs> An OK game at 44-52. There we are, the, vo- the voice of rugby speaks. Uh, then we had uh, Sale beating Worcester 20 points to 13. Um, and then Newcastle Falcons that we've debated, you know, are they punching above their weight a little bit? Um, uh, they beat Gloucester 22-10 up in the northeast. And uh, Pete, I think you watched that game. And of course, you went to university, didn't you, up in, up, up in Newcastle? Um, what did what did you make of that and the weather conditions beforehand? Why, I told I did. Yeah, it was uh, it was like a summer's day in Newcastle that I remember. Uh, but I've got to say, yeah, they 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 cleared the pitch, didn't they? Big Dean hobbled down and, and got a spade out as well and helped out. But I'm so impressed with Newcastle. I really am. And I tell you what, they had Gary Graham playing back again at number eight. And I tell you what, I think we were lucky he didn't play against us. I, they were they were awesome. They were so physical, and we know we, they were physical against us. But Gloucester, to be honest, didn't have anything to to really compete with them. And and the other thing that happened that luckily didn't happen against us was that Radwan. That if you remember, the folk on Falcons boys had been going yeah. about him being wrapped, scored a try off a. It was basically off a a, a, a ruck like on their try line and two quick passes out, and he ran the whole length of the pitch and completely sidestepped um, Johnny May. He was rapid. No, and they looked in control. They, you know, they could have won by more, to be honest. I, I, I just think they've got such a good team spirit that they are genuinely in, in, a, in a deserved place at the moment in the league. So fair dues to the, uh, the Falcons. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure our friends, and we have many of them, uh, up King's Home Way must be getting a bit concerned now. Gloucester bottom of the league with six points. Uh, and you have a look on their social media feeds, some of the fans forums and uh, the, the, the podcast boys, and all of a sudden the phrase ring fencing is being used uh, more than it has been uh, in any other season. Uh, of course, we had Saints versus Leicester. That game uh, was cancelled because of of uh, COVID uh, and then today as ever we're recording this on Sunday evening and uh, Quinns drew 27-27 with London Irish so that leaves the table with Bristol top on 24 points uh, followed by Newcastle and Exeter on 20 points well let's uh, let's move on now because as things stand at the moment we'll talk about this a little bit later on Bristol are due to play Connaught on Sunday the 17th of January uh, a 5.30pm kickoff um, and I'm delighted that Pete was able to speak to our uh, friends from the Cracky Podcast to uh, get their view on not only the forthcoming game but how they viewed things um, from the game over in Ireland. So let's listen to that now. In what has now become a regular feature, I'm delighted to be joined again by Alan Deegan and William Davis from the excellent Craggy Rugby podcast that covers all things Connacht. Well, fellas, it's really good to talk to you again. And what a few weeks it's been since the last time we spoke, both on and off the pitch. The UK is now in full lockdown. But more importantly, both of us have got massive games this weekend against our respective top clubs. And then, of course, after that, you'll be visiting Ashton Gate for the return leg in the Champions Cup. So before we start talking about that game, it would be actually quite interesting now to find out what you thought about the first game at the sports ground, now that you've had a little bit of time to reflect on it. Yeah, Pete, uh, William William here, I'll take that. I think it was a disappointing performance by Connacht. It was a game that 
it played out pretty much the way I thought. Pat Lamb sides. I'd spoke to Pat for about 25 minutes on the Friday. And we'd over and backed about his time at Connacht and stuff. And he always talks about structure. This, this is his first thing is the structure of how you set up. And I think Bristol came with a really good structure and game plan. Uh, they did kick a bit more, but I think that was to do with the conditions and what he has seen with the way that Connacht play. The first half was pretty even, pretty odd first half. I think at halftime, Connacht thought they were well in this game, but 60 seconds into the second half, our talisman player does something idiotic, gets a yellow card, Bristol score two tries, the game's over. Uh, and that's what you do when you get a yellow card. And I think Connacht don't chase these type of games particularly well. The game plan tends to go out the window. I think the, the pressure came on. They kept giving away penalties. There was some bad handling errors. I thought Bristol were very impressive. I thought Piers O'Connor had a fabulous game that day. I thought he ran the whole operation in the back. It was very much what I what we expected. Um, I spoke to Pat after the game. Unfortunately, the recording failed um, because he actually finished up uh, with giving me three sentences in Irish, wishing us all a very happy Christmas. He was very pleased uh, because I think he knew there was a lot of pressure on that game. Maybe personal pressure for him uh, bringing his team back to play a play a serious game. And uh, yeah, they were they were quite happy getting on their buses and heading back to the airport. So, Alan, Piers O'Connor has been mentioned, but were there any other players you were particularly impressed by? Yeah, I, I was fascinated with um, uh, Ian Lloyd. Is it Ian Lloyd or Ian Lloyd? Yoan, yeah. Yoan Lloyd. I, I thought he was he was a live wire because like he's really a ten, isn't he? And he was playing on the wing, but he he didn't play like a winger. He played like a ten who was playing out of position, but just wanted to get on the ball and was so full of life and just buzzing. And I I found him brilliant to watch. I couldn't take my eyes off from half the time. It was great to see a guy like that, young guy, because he's very young. It was great to see him given the opportunity to play in a big European game. Um, now, admittedly. We missed the fans. There was a, a part of the, the issue, I think, was we missed our fans. But the other one for me was was Jake Wilmore. I thought he was brilliant. Um, we haven't seen we haven't seen um, Finley Beelham get such a hard time by somebody in such a long such a long time. And of course, your your pack in general, like you know, the pack had seventy one meters <laughs> in their rolling malls, which is you know goes to show we we kind of always struggle against English teams, and that that one stash is a highlight of that the fact that you guys could make 71 meters in in um rolling balls and we only made about eight mm. um i think it tells a, a huge part of the story of the game just want to come in there for a second one thing i would say and connor would never use this as an excuse but that was a game that desperately needed a crowd the whole thing with pat lamb coming back was about him and john muldoon and connor mcphillips and the adiologan and whoever else was there but all that was lost Mm -hmm. uh, and that's very sad, really, because that, that took from the day. I, and I think, I actually think Bristol handled that better than Connacht did. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not making any excuses because the best team won, without a doubt. Do you, do you think that you could have been a bit more ambitious on the day? I think that the Bundy, the the you know when, when you lose your star player and he really is a star player. We don't get many star players in Connacht. We can't really afford them. Um, but Bundy is like our superstar player. He's every game he's played for Ireland. He started. He's never come off the bench. He started and has never been not chosen while he's been available. Like he's that good. Um, and when he makes as stupid a mistake as he makes, not only does it sort of sort of take away the 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 a player on the field and opens up space which Bristol were brilliant at exploiting but just the whole mindset of everybody else going hang on he's our star player Why, you know and it took a while for us to, to get that back and and we never really did because when when Bristol went down to, to 14 players we let it try in <laughs> and you know you know that 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 was real finish of the game you know when when you guys were down to 14 we made two mistakes in in rolling balls and you did again the pack did what it was what it was meant to do um and I think that was a, a huge part of it for us is is that sort of silly mistake we're recording this probably about 10 days before uh, the, the game Ashton Gate on the 17th what do you 
think will happen on that day? I mean, how do you think the game may pan out generally? Okay, before William, because I let William talk about this mainly, but I'm going to come in with a couple of stats that will not put us in very good light, but will give you an example as to why why William's going to say what he's probably going to say. In the Heineken Cup, we've never beaten a team away from home, an English team away from home. In European rugby in general, since 1996, we've only beaten two English teams. We've lost 23 times away, drawn one and won twice. We do not win in England. It is a huge issue for us. Now, if you want to compare that to French teams, we've beaten French teams 16 times. So <laughs> there's something about us going to England and not playing very well. So, uh, William, what do you think? Um, <laughs> i got to be honest with you, Pete. I, I, I think this is a game that Bristol will win by as many points as they want. And I, I, I don't think Connacht will send a very strong side. They have nothing left to play for in this competition. Uh, they've lost two games. They probably should have beaten Racing. They got a point out of that game. They could have had a point out of the Bristol game, which led to a lot of discussion. Uh, uh, and one of the joys these days is that you can hear a lot of the um, comments on the field and certain players were very blunt with a very inexperienced and young captain. Uh, and they told him what they thought of his decision, which was to keep going for the try, which he admitted afterwards was more of a just wanted to prove a point thing. But they did turn down a very easy penalty that would have given them another bonus point. But one point really suggests that there's nowhere for them to go here. Um, there is the, the there is the Challenge Cup for the next tier finishers, but I I don't think sides are thinking about that. They've this the game we have at the weekend against Munster is probably season defining in terms of what we're going to do in the Pro 14. We'll still have seven games left in that, but I think these next two European games, the home game is different against Racing, but I think Bristol will be way too strong for the side that Connacht send. Uh, they'll. They won't say that and they'll front up and they may give a couple of the younger guys. We've got we've got guys coming back from injury. Uh, we've got guys coming back from COVID. So they might get a spin. Um, but I think it's I, I think it's a step too far. I, I just I just can't see it, I'm afraid. And it's it's disappointing. But I think the way this competition is set up now, if you lose your first two games. Unless your next game is at home, if you, if you had a home game as your third game, you might still feel, okay, we could get that under, under, underway. But and I, and I, we are horrendous away from home. It's, it's shocking. I've seen a lot of these games. Sometimes Connacht play really well in England and lose by a few points. Sometimes they've come away with absolute maulings. So we're basically kind of agreeing then that you're going to send a fairly weak side. <laughs> we're going to put a fairly strong side out. And it, there could be a minimum of 25 points. Well, well, we'll, we'll wait and see. Sorry, sorry. The biggest disappointment I have is that we're not going there. I love yeah. going to Bristol. I love Bristol. I've, you know, I, I almost had a job in Bristol at one stage in my life. Um, and when the guy said to me, why does an Irishman want to live in Bristol? I went, I play rugby. And he went, fair enough. Um, and when we fly, to, when we go to Wales, we tend to fly into Bristol and stay in Bristol for our <laughs> Pro 14 matches because we enjoy Bristol so much. So yeah, we're going to miss it. Yeah, well, I, I think I think that's one of the disasters so far. I mean, Connacht would have brought a lot of fans to this game, irrespective of the situation. They would have booked up months in advance. Yeah. I would have said you could have had six or seven hundred Connacht fans. A lot of the Connacht diaspora living in the UK, they would come from everywhere, mm. not just England. There'd be Scotland, mm. Wales, people you only see at the odd game. They would be down to support Connacht. Mm. And it's just the fact that they want to come and see their team play locally and locally is anywhere in that they can get to. Uh, but we, that's all been robbed away from us this year. And that, and that is a pity. And we really would have looked forward to going over there uh, as it is. We're, we're doing the match live on local radio here off television with our satellite feeds and our ref links and stuff, but it'd be much more fun to be in the ground. Well, look, I really appreciate, um, particularly I appreciate your honesty and candour, um, but, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I do wish you, uh, you boys good luck at the weekend though, um, because you're, you're fast becoming a lot of uh, Bristol Bears fans' second team. 
Well, Pete, um, great interview. Those boys are so good, aren't they? Uh, so insightful. Um, and I, I love the honesty as well, um, you know, telling us about the team that they think is going to come over and that that team is likely potentially to get a bit of a, a, a beast in from, from Bristol. Yeah, yeah, they were they were very honest. They were their analysis of the first game was very good as well. Um, I think they were I think they were very impressed with Bristol actually, and I think uh, they mentioned a few of our players, didn't they? Jake and Piers O'Connor and Owen Lloyd, players they hadn't really heard of or seen much of, and how impressed they were with those young lads. So, yeah, all good stuff. Um, I mean, they did. I think uh, Alan read a, read a few stats out, didn't he, about how they fare against English sides and, and, you know, regardless of what team they put out, the stats are pretty grim for them playing away in England. So I think the boys were, they were more disappointed about the fact they weren't uh, going to get a, a weekend in Bristol because obviously I invited them over if as an open invitation in BS3 if they ever want it. And I think they more <laughs> gutted about that than anything else, to be honest. Absolutely. That comment about, you know, Connacht for fans from all over the UK would have descended onto uh, Bristol for, for the game. Uh, a, a local, if it was, it, it would be local as long as the definition of local was could they get there? <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well, let, let, let me come to you, Lee. Um, We'll, we'll talk about whether the game goes ahead or not because of the issue with French clubs and COVID-19. But let, let's just say that it is going to go ahead. What kind of team do you think Pat's going to put out um, against Connaught? Um, do you see many changes to that 23 that we saw on the field at Sandy Park? Yeah, I, I think we do. I mean, I, we, we have to really because I think that oh, that was a, a huge shift. And like we've already alluded to, um, you know, Connacht would uh, probably be paying a, a second-rate or a second team, um, and I think we'd see a lot of the fringe players coming back in. Um, one thing I did want to say is, like, what's, what's happening with Chris Bowie? Do we know? Is there any latest news on the injury? Because we've heard nothing, have we? No, I think I think you've asked that for three pods on yeah. the trot now, and. Uh... <laughs> But but that does show a sign that we, we're not really getting any detail from the club about the extent of his injury, um, which which is a little bit concerning because obviously Ed Holmes was listed as unavailable as well. I think he must have picked up some knock. So all of a sudden we are looking a little bit light in the socket second row um, with, uh, you know, Atwood and Joyce, the, the, the main recognised second row players. Obviously, Dunn was there uh, at the weekend. But uh, it would be good to get some kind of update to know where we are on those. Um, but who, who you, you think you, Pat, might, might change things up quite yeah, a bit? Yeah, I think you will. I mean, I, I mean personally, I still think, obviously, we're going to talk about this later on, but I, I'm still very doubtful that the game will go ahead anyway, personally. But... I, I think that um, if we are facing Irish opposition, then I think we we will change it up um, a, a fair bit, I, I would say, this week. OK, Miles, let me come to you. Pat's obviously made a big play about Champions Cup and wanting to be in it to win it. Um, do you think he's going to gamble and play a slightly weakened team or, or do you think we'll go all guns blazing against Connacht? Uh, well, I guess it depends if perhaps listen to the craggy podcast, doesn't he? Which they seem to <laughs> suggesting otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think Connacht realise they're out of the competition, potentially dropping to the Champions Cup. Uh, and I, I, I agree with uh, to, to, Lee. To the Challenge Cup. Challenge Cup, sorry. I, I agree yeah. with Lee. We potentially might bring in some fringe players. There's a few boys who've played consistently and need a rest. On the other hand, you could argue that our uh, our sort of internationals like Piotr Morahan really need some more game time to become match fit. They, Charles isn't, it would appear, up to a full 80 minutes yet. And uh, Morahan was a little bit quiet at the weekend, wasn't he? So I think some quality players on the bench, but some fringe players coming in. But Pat does not play a weak side, does he? Well, there isn't a weak side in the Bristol squad now. The depth is so good. That we'll we'll you know come with a strong side and then get some changes on if need be. I I, I kind of agree with you. I think it will it will be fundamentally most of the the twenty three that went to um, to Sandy Park. I think there will be three or four 
maybe five changes in the starting lineup. Um, but I think Pat will want to make sure a job is done and that we get all five points. Uh, and actually, points difference could become quite crucial if if this tournament does go on. Um, and, uh, you know, you need to split teams that are potentially on 15 points after four games. So, so I think we will see a few changes, but not that many. Let's have a quick round of predictions then. You've heard the craggy boys. They don't think they're going to send a, uh, a strong team. Pete? Uh, your thoughts uh, on a score prediction? Um, well, I think they said a minimum of 25 points to Bristol win. So I'm going to go with them because they know what they're talking about. So I'm going to say something like 35-10. Um, right, going for a 35-10. Lee, let me come to you. What do you think? 34-7, Tony. Oh, look, he's edging it a bit there, Miles. I'm going to up the ante just a little bit to 40-10. Oh, where does that leave me? Should I go high or low? Well, I, I, I'm going to go for a 44-14 um, Bristol win then. Uh, and we'll take it from there. And I think, uh, looking at the score predictions from last week, I think, Pete, you were the closest with uh, your 16 16- points to 20 predictions so uh congratulations on that uh right um you are listening to bears beyond the gate a bristol bears podcast made by fans for fans we're available on apple Podcasts, spotify podbean buzzsprout and many many more platforms you can contact us with your comments and ideas by email at bears beyond the gate at gmail.com on twitter we're bears beyond gate and on facebook you can like and follow our bears beyond the gate page now as we mentioned uh french clubs uh look to be instructed i think i don't know if it's by the the french rugby union or by the government uh that they shouldn't play in the next two rounds of uh european competition which has thrown a huge question mark about the games over the next couple of weekends um let let me come to to you first pete um if if the french clubs don't play what what do you think should happen should these two rounds just be binned or you know a connor versus bristol game should go ahead and any french teams that decide not to play they they forfeit the game and the 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 the, the, the other team gets the the five point win well, I mean, it's a difficult one because if it, if it, it depends how the fixtures pan out, because obviously one of the arguments was if, if, if we've been these two weeks of European games, bring forward the Premiership two weeks, then that's going to give us some wriggle room at the end of the season to replay some of the postponed games. But of course, it may not work out quite like that, because why can't Bristol play Connor and get that one in the bank? Um, and what if? But then, if Bath have got someone and and Leicester, I don't know. It's it looks complicated. It looks like they're going to have to get some sort of algorithm sorted out. I mean, I don't know. I really don't. Pat was very vociferous, wasn't he, saying that if they're going to get cancelled, let's just cancel both of them, leave it up, to, and then bring forward the the two things. So, um, which is a slight dilemma for us because if that happens, it would be us playing Bath next week, wouldn't it? And we haven't. We wouldn't. We would have had a chance to talk about it. So um, I think it's going to, it'll have to, they're going to have to make it, I think they're making, even the Six Nations are making decisions tomorrow, aren't they? So I think we'll probably find out more in the next couple of days. Yeah. And Miles, what, what's your thoughts? Did I see somewhere that you thought uh, this is an opportunity for maybe some of the COVID cancelled domestic games to be replayed? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's not, not, an, not an idea unique to myself, mate. I think a lot of sort of rugby fans have potentially said, well, well, rather than this farce of giving play, uh, teams four points and two points, why not replay some of those? But I can understand the complexities of the timetable now. And having listened to our grandmaster Pat at the end of the Chiefs game on Sunday, I mean, I'm sort of with with a few other fans, really. Why not bring in round seven and eight? Uh, we're on a roll, obviously, uh, but... Then we, round seven, we would face Bath at home. Round eight, Sale at home. I mean, those are two very winnable games. But, I mean, you know, despite my misgivings about the game, Bath played very well and 
that would be a tough game. But, oh, it's a right conundrum. I mean, I'd be happy to carry on with the champion, uh, the uh, premiership games. And I feel like if the French really feel it's unsafe to play, the competition really should be null and void. That's my opinion. And Lee, your thoughts uh, around this? If if we do end up with two weekends that are suddenly free, um, how how should that be handled? It, like for me, Tony, it's really simple. I think if the if the French teams um, pull out for the next two rounds, then there's no way we can fit these games in anyway. Um, so I think that the whole competition. It, it it becomes an exaggerated um, British and Irish Cup uh, competition. Otherwise, which isn't you know it isn't the Champions Cup anymore. And I think that we should completely knock it on the head. Um, really straightforward, knock it on the head, and then we we fulfil those Premiership fixtures as as Miles. And and I will give credit to Miles. He did he you know he he, he did put that out a few weeks ago um, that that was you know an option and I think that's that's exactly the way it should it should go if the French teams aren't in it it's not the Champions Cup anymore so let's knock on the head for a season let's all get ourselves sorted out and and we go again next year with a proper competition again it, it is going to be fascinating, isn't it? Uh, as we said, it's it's not just these uh, these two rounds of Champions Cup. Whether the Six Nations would happen, um, I, you know, there, there's there's two things, isn't there? There's the sensible, safe way to deal with things, and then there's the television companies demanding that they've got games to show their paying punters. You know, you could say cancel the competition. That's the sensible, safe thing to do. But uh, those television companies all around Europe that have coughed up a lot of money for this coverage, I'm not sure they'd be quite so happy with that approach. So uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see um, if, you know, if if the France French teams forfeit, then uh, you could see, as you say, a glorified British and Irish Champions Cup. Um, if there are two free weekends, uh, then I certainly think we should uh, try and move the season um, th- those games forwards, um, which I think would mean then that uh, the first two rounds of the Six Nations, if it goes ahead, wouldn't have any clash with Premiership games. Um, and we could give the players a well-earned week or two weeks off uh, before uh, games start again. So uh, for me, uh, it, it, it's, it's going to be fascinating. I think the one thing we can say, there there is no right golden answer because the demands of TV uh, as well as the demands of uh, player safety and government rules uh, are are all going to have to be somehow found and a solution found. Um, One one interesting things that I I picked up from the Egg Chasers podcast uh, was around the allocation of COVID-19 league points for domestic games that are cancelled as you know we've talked about this uh in in a couple of podcasts about the four points for the team uh that wasn't to blame if you like and two points for the team that was um and they've done some analysis and said that the average premiership game yields 4.9 points so if we continue with this dishing out six points for every covid game that's an increase of about 20 percent so some of those, um, let me come to you, Pete, um, some of those uh, rough point tallies for being able to avoid relegation uh, potentially would be out the window, wouldn't they? Because uh, 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 lots of teams are going to pick up points that uh, maybe they wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, so I, I can't, uh, I haven't actually had time to run the figures through my own algorithm, um, but I'm gonna, I'll trust that the egg chasers did it right. And it does seem a bit dodgy, doesn't it? So, but I, I'm going to refer back to your answer earlier on. That there's no perfect way, is there? Um, and it's just yet another conundrum that has been, you know, thrown into the mix amongst many conundrums in this crazy world we're living in at the moment. So, uh, God, I don't know, Tony. I, if you're looking for an answer, you're not going to get one, I'm afraid. Well, there we are. Thank you for that, Pete. You can now come off. You can now come off the fence. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, 
there, there was um, one other social media comment, um, and uh, I think uh, Lee was involved with this, and uh, I'm going to lay the blame squarely oh. at his his oh, feet. No. <laughs> um, who, and uh, I think it was Marcus Watts. You got into a bit of online Twitter banter with him, and uh, you made the suggestion that if uh, Bristol Bears win the league this season, that you've committed the four of us and the podcast to a calendar for 2022. Now, can you explain yourself, well, sir? Because <laughs> I, I, I know Pete's talked a lot about budgie smugglers um, over the the last you know year or so. But uh, what 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 were you thinking? Well, of? I, I would say first of all, obviously Pete has is put the the four of us in this kind of um, in this situation to start with by talking constantly about the budgie smugglers. Um, I just thought personally, because Marcus Watts is, um, you know, he, he's he's got a lovely dog, and he does a lot of um, nice charity stuff for for. for it's, like, who's laughing here, right? So he does a lot of nice stuff for charity. Put it that way, okay? Um, for for canines, and I thought, do you know what? For for charity, I would be absolutely one hundred percent happy to put all four of us forward. I know Pete would be chomping at the bit to, you know, this anyway. Um, for, for a little charity calendar um, to raise money for what, you know, whatever, whatever fund we, we decide. I'd, I'd make all, I'm, I'm there all day long. I'm there. And we want to make that calendar at all. And Miles, any particular months you you'd fancy yourself uh, on? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard going. I mean, we clearly know if anyone's seen Bristol uh, Pete's Twitter sort of feed, uh, picture at the moment, it's him dressed in some of some mock East Seventeen coat. So I think <laughs> Pete's got December covered already. He appears to have July uh, calendar boy covered with his budgie smugglers. So oh. I'm, I might pull off a. A spring and autumn cover myself. I'm boys. definitely going for the winter months so I can get my excuses in early. I tell you. <laughs> I, I, I've just got a picture one one of the months. Um, you know, we could have uh, if if they'd be up for it. Lee and and, and Nathan maybe sharing a kebab. Um, wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't that be lovely? So. Um, you know, I thought I'd never say it, but uh, you know, if if we don't win the league this season, there might might just be a little benefit for <laughs> us that, that that we don't have to do a calendar. So well, well done, Lee. Thanks for thanks for volunteering welcome, that for us. <laughs> Well, that's it for this show. Uh, if you like what you've heard, please do leave a review or rating for us on your podcast platform. That's five league wins in a row for the rampant Bears. Let's hope we do get the chance to carry that form into battle in Europe next weekend. Until then, goodbye, stay safe, and come on, Briz. Briz.